This is episode number 151 with Dr. Kelly Brogan. The Melissa Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Today's podcast is brought to you by the brand new certification program created by my health guru and one of my all-time favorite humans on the planet, Dr. Stephen Cabral, naturopathic, functional medicine, and Ayurvedic doctor. Now, if you follow me on social media, you will know that I am obsessed with Dr. Cabral for many reasons. Firstly, he literally saved Nick's life. And secondly, I love his holistic, whole body, individualized approach to health and healing, which includes the essential Ayurveda, which is why he's the most featured person on my podcast. So, If you are a wellness junkie like me, you are not going to want to miss his brand new program, the Integrative Health Practitioner Certification. This is the first of a kind program that fuses ancient Ayurveda wisdom and prioritizes whole body holistic healing. It very carefully takes into consideration that everyone is extremely different with different body types. So there is no one-size-fits-all approach here. His approach is about understanding that the body seeks equilibrium. So his program is about bringing your body back into balance as quickly as possible. This program is so in-depth and insightful, I've never seen anything quite like it. It will arm you with everything you need to know to take your own health seriously to the next level. And you can even choose to become a certified integrative health coach practitioner so that you can help other people achieve amazing health and earn great money doing it. This program is for anyone who wants to take their health and their family's health and healing to the next level. Trust me, I have seen it firsthand when Nick went from struggling after spending hundreds of thousands of dollars over many years and just not being able to get the answers or support he needed to now being in the best shape of his life with unstoppable energy and a sense of balance and calm that is truly inspiring. It's also for anyone who is already in the health and wellness field and wants to up-level their knowledge and skills, or for anyone who wants an entirely new career as a certified integrative health practitioner. Every module is taken directly from Dr. Cabral's private practice. So you get the exact handouts and protocols that he used with over 250,000 client consults. It's all online and you can go at your own pace, which is awesome. This program has got me seriously excited. Head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash Cabral. That's C 
C-A-B-R-A-L to check out all the details on this epic program and take control of your health and future today. Dr. Kelly Brogan is a Manhattan-based holistic women's health psychiatrist, author of the international and New York Times best-selling book, A Mind of Your Own, and co-editor of the landmark textbook, Integrative Therapies for Depression. She completed her psychiatric training and fellowship at NYU Medical Center after graduating from Cornell University Medical College. And she has a Bachelor of Science from MIT in Systems Neuroscience. She is board certified in psychiatric, psychosomatic medicine, and integrative holistic medicine, and is specialized in a root cause resolution approach to psychiatric syndromes and symptoms. She is on the board of many amazing organizations and is the medical director for Fearless Parent and a founding member of Health Freedom Action, and is also a mama of two. And in this episode, we chat about her journey to where she is today, the book that changed her life, what really causes depression, and this has got nothing to do with your brain, how your lifestyle influences your mental health and can be secretly leading to depression, How to heal your depression in one month. Yep, you heard me right. How to reprogram your thoughts for epic health and happiness. How to harness your innate power to transform your life. The most powerful detoxification tool on the planet. Why you need to heal your gut immediately. How to calm and seal your digestive system using nutrition plus so much more. And for everything that Dr. Kelly and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 151. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this one comes from Jesse Ant and it's titled, This podcast is life with five stars. And she says, This podcast is amazing. Melissa and her guests just have so much helpful knowledge. It is actually life-changing. Everybody needs to listen to this podcast. It will change your life. Thank you for everything you do for this community you are creating. Melissa, you are a goddess. Jesse, you are a goddess. Thank you so much for that beautiful, heartfelt review. I'm so grateful. I absolutely love reading the reviews every week. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave your review now. It would mean the absolute world to me. And now, without further ado, let's bring on the amazing Dr. Kelly Brogan. Welcome, Kelly. I am so excited to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? So after all of these years, I'm, you know, almost self-conscious to say that I 
still have the same smoothie several times a week. And it's, it's funny because I, you know, I can spend so much time and invest so much effort in writing these research-based articles and blogs and probably the most popular piece of content I've ever contributed to the interwebs is the recipe for this smoothie that we now, my team calls the KB smoothie. And it's basically just a lot of, you know, natural fats. It's egg yolks and coconut oil and nut butter. And I use coconut water. I use cacao and frozen cherries and collagen powder. And it tastes like chocolate milk. (laughs) Oh, yum. You know, I I like to dance a lot in the morning. And so it's just like, I don't want to have like a whole big situation in there. So it, it works out like perfectly. Oh, yeah. Maybe we can link to that article with the recipe in the show notes so everyone can go and try it. Cool. Yeah, it's very popular, mostly because so many of us are recovering from, you know, dysglycemia or unstable blood sugar. And it just really, it's like putting a big log on the fire and and you feel full for, you know, what, what never used to be possible for me, something like four to six hours. So I think that's probably why it's popular. Oh wow. And you said you like to dance a lot in the morning. What what are you what kind of dancing are you doing? Yes. So I have done a lot of different kinds not professionally, let's be clear. A lot of different kinds of dancing in my life, mostly hip hop actually. And I've just moved to Miami and there's a lot of dancing down here and a lot of it is ecstatic dancing, which is if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like you know, sober nightclub dancing, I guess. And then some of it is more formal classes. And I've gotten very into traditional African dancing, which is very different. It's like not sexy at all. <laughs> so it doesn't activate that sort of feminine sensuality, but it's it's very childlike, you know, it's just fun and joyful and you move your entire body and your spine. And I've never been someone who can just go to the gym. I, in fact, I've never, ever been to a gym for the, you know, to do what people do at a gym. I don't even know. But uh, if I can trick myself into exercising, you know, with the right kind of music, then then I love it. And it's, it's such an important part of my life. And I never, ever exercised before I understood that it could be, you know, fun. Oh, wow. It sounds like as well that on a soul level, what that does for your cells and your happiness and your biochemistry, like it would just make your soul sing. You tap into uh, you tap into an energy reserve that's you know it's really quantum you know not to throw that word ar- around but you know I had a I have a, a patient who has, had a thyroidectomy right so before she met me she unfortunately you know was led down a path that <clears throat> ended in the removal of her thyroid and you know we had a lot of trouble getting her really back into herself and finally you know everything was better all of her digestive symptoms her hair her skin her anxiety, we got her off psych meds. And it was just fatigue was really burdening her. And she used to be a tap dancer, actually. And so I just had this insight that if she could just get back into that, like push herself beyond the discomfort of of needing to resist it, avoid it, saying she doesn't have the energy for it. Anyway, long story short, once she actually did that, she pushed herself to go to a class. It was literally we we were done. You know, it was literally like she unlocked this you know, what in yogic terms is called Shakti, you know, she, she unlocked this reservoir and now she has direct access to it. So I think that's how sometimes our, our soul tells us, no, you're not, you're not living right. You're missing a really important ingredient. And so I'm going to make sure you know that right by layering you in, in fatigue. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about, about dance for, Mm. for many reasons. That's one. Yeah. 
Now, before we continue and and keep diving deeper into today's topic, which I'm so excited to talk to you about, can you share a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today and doing the work that you do in the women's health space? Yeah. So I, I think the most interesting part of my story is that I used to be my own foil, meaning like, you know, in Shakespearean terms, I used to be the very definition of of what it is that I position myself, you know, as an alternative to, let's say. I, you know, went to medical school because I had worked a suicide hotline in college where I went to a college called MIT, where there, you know, there are unfortunately a lot of completed suicides. It's a very big issue for a number of reasons. And I also was a neuroscience major. So I really, you know, I, I took the bait and I believed that we had cracked the code on human behavior. And all we need is to make sure more and more people have ac- access to psychiatric medications. We have to get them into treatment. So I went to medical school for that purpose, became very impassioned about, you know, psychopharmacology and confident using multiple medications and patients to the extent that my specialization was in pregnant and breastfeeding women, medicating them. So I was, you know, one of the early, actually first 300 doctors on the planet to specialize in such a thing. And it really wasn't until I encountered my own health crisis, which was a diagnosis of Hashimoto's thyroiditis postpartum, my, my own first pregnancy, that I really you know, started to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, learning what it is that conventional medicine has to offer and, and finding that wasn't satisfactory for me. You know, I didn't want to take a prescription for the rest of my life. And I was called to explore something I had only ever dismissed up until that point, which was naturopathic medicine. And through that, I put my, even on, on, on paper, you know, I put my antibodies into remission, normalized my, my hormones and, you know, I was set on fire and I, I started to question everything as happens, you know, when you have a healing experience that's totally, you know, unscripted and unanticipated. And I turned over every stone, you know, birth control and, and acids and over-the-counter pain pills and vaccines and antibiotics and statins. And I just, I wanted to know if I hadn't been told anything else in, in medical school. And I've always been you know, sort of bookish. And I, and I like reading science and, and feel comfortable with statistics and, you know, primary literature. And so I, I endeavored to educate myself, uh, you know, about what it was that I wasn't taught. And that was the beginning of the end of my conventional practice, which was really sealed by a book called Anatomy of an Epidemic by Robert Whitaker, who's an intrepid journalist. And he basically helped me to understand something I was ready to hear. And that's important, you know, right timing is everything. I was ready to hear that there's something curious about the trends in the prescribing of psychiatric medication because we have more access to treatment and more people being treated with these medications than ever before in human history. So why is it that we actually have more disability, mental health disability than ever before in human history? Shouldn't those be inversely correlate, right? So that is the question he asks. And as a journalist, he had no skin in the game. You know, he's just looking into it. And what he found was largely based on 16 studies I had never heard of in my training. He concluded that it's actually the treatment itself that is perpetuating epidemics the world over. And we, you know, we need to go back to the drawing board. And so that led me to put down my prescription pad. I never started a patient on medication again after 2010. Wow. 
That's that's huge. That is huge. And something that we see prescriptions being written out for more and more and more, and it's getting scarily, it's just increasing so much is the mental health and the, the depression. And it's something that we need to talk about and something that you talk a lot about. So you say that the cause is not this chemical imbalance in the brain, which a lot of people believe is the case. So if that's not the case, what is the case then? Yeah. So, so we've been told a story. It's, it's a story that is a, is a familiar and comfortable one to us, which is that you are born with it, mm. right? So never mind the fact that many decades of research and, and taxpayer dollars have gone towards finding the gene, for example, for depression or schizophrenia or OCD or bipolar, you name it, <laughs> autism. And we've come up completely empty-handed. I mean, beyond empty-handed, like not even really a shred, you know, to, to, to hang a scientific theory on. So we've been told this story that it's, it's genetic and it emerges at some point in your life. And after that point, you have to manage your symptoms like a good patient and take your meds forever, mm. <laughs> you know. Also, never mind the fact that all of the longitudinal data, so all of the long-term naturalistic, you know, assessment of how do people do on these medications long-term states that you are better off having never touched medication than taking it long-term, that all sorts of challenges come to bear when you take these medications, sometimes even for longer than two months, but no one is being communicated that as a part of an informed consent because doctors themselves don't know about this literature. I paid attention in medical school and residency and fellowship, trust me, and I had never encountered this literature. So it's just the nature of human psychology and of, of selection bias. It's, it's the nature of you know, the system that it focuses on that which supports its you know, belief system. And, you know, the challenge of some of these statistics, right? Like you said, so many people are being prescribed these medications. This is a problem. And I don't know that there's a person who would disagree with that, right? But the challenge is that when you, as an individual, are struggling, you never think, oh, there's so many people struggling and, and I'm being put on these meds. Like, I shouldn't be put on these meds. No, you are afraid and you want to feel better, right? So, of course, it makes sense that you would consider availing yourself of an option that promises stability, that promises to, to resolve your symptoms in, in a matter of weeks. And so that's really you know, where, my, where and why my sword is aloft, because I think that everybody needs to at least know what is possible so that they can make an informed choice about what resonates with their belief, belief system, what is right for them. And that's really where we have just a massive blind spot in conventional medicine today, which is positioned as being the only legitimate form of medicine, has a, a total monopoly on, on you know, the business of health, wellness, and healing. And that is the problem, right? Because there are many, many other paths to walk when you, when you first encounter you know, symptoms, when you first encounter a struggle. And I just think it's, it's important that everybody know what those are in order to make a choice that's right for them. So what are the lifestyle contributing factors to depression and mental health? So in the literature, you know, you mentioned about the chemical imbalance theory, you know, for about six decades, researchers invested an incredible amount of effort, energy, time, and money into validating the serotonin theory, which is more technically called the monoamine hypothesis. And after six decades, essentially researchers have given up. 
right? So this research, as far as I can tell, is no longer being conducted because there is literally not a single study that validates that theory. And the theory came about through, you know, some some strange coincidence, really, back in the 50s, where the pharmaceutical industry just ran with this idea that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a chemical imbalance. That's what's wrong. We just have to get in there and, and tinker with it and restore it like we're just buttons and levers, right? It's the machine model of the body, which, of course, now we've long moved past. And one of the ways in which we've moved past about 25 years now in the literature that this has been, you know, a, a prevalent concept is, is through an understanding that all of these seemingly separate systems are inextricably connected. And so the, the discipline is called psychoneuroimmunology. And the, what it explores and, and studies is the role of inflammation as a messenger, as the language that the body uses to express imbalance, express perceived stress or threat. And, you know, so it's not a bad thing. It's actually the body's wise adaptation to something that is wrong. So what's wrong, right? In the literature, it's called an evolutionary mismatch that we evolved over time in concert with the natural world and that that our being has a certain environmental context that it thrives in, right? Certain amount of sunlight and movement, certain nutrients and a relationship to food and the microbiome, not only in our, our food, but in the, in the living soil, you know, certain ways of orienting towards our community, of feeling held, certain ways of, of relating parent-child, and, you know, certainly certain ways of thinking, right, and relating to demands and, and perceived stressors. So in pretty much every single one of these ways, we have made a departure from our, you know, right way of being. And so the body in its wisdom is, is trying to show us that, trying to show us how to get back on that path. And, and those are called symptoms, right? So, so the amazing news to me, you know, as somebody who, who came to this with a great degree of skepticism, although desperation, you know, in my own health situation, the amazing thing to me is that you can repair and recover your body and subsequently your mind and spirit in the space of sometimes a month. I mean, I have outcomes in my practice and in my online program that, you know, my approach is, is really a month-long intensive. There shouldn't be much of anything that happens in a month, right? Because most of us are sick for sometimes years, just stuck circling the drain. So, so why would we ever expect to feel differently in a month? Well, that's the result of sending the body and the mind and the spirit signals of safety from many different directions simultaneously. And that's what I've found is, is really, you know, the key to unlocking the innate potential for, for healing. How do we send our body those signals of healing? Like, how do we actually do that? Because I'm sure there's lots of people listening going, oh my gosh, I really want to do this. You know, I'm feeling stuck and unwell. So how do we send our body those signals? Yes. So, you know, my approach and program, online program, really begins with, you know, so a lot of people come to the program, it's called Vital Mind Reset. A lot of people come to it because they want to get started on the diet, right? And they want guidance and meal plans, and whatever. And so they're kind of confused why the first two weeks of the program is essentially focused on 
<laughs> brainwashing. <laughs> it's essentially focused on making sure that there is a belief system firmly in place to translate the gifts of lifestyle medicine into robust and radical outcomes. Because I know, you know, not from my own, you know, sort of hope and wish, I know from the literature itself and my understanding of the role of what's called expectancy, which is the power of what you believe is going to happen, literally is the most important determinant in a medical outcome. This is in surgery. This is in pain medication. This certainly in psychiatry is very strong, that signal. Sometimes it's called the placebo effect, but that you know, tends to be misleading because people think, oh, placebo effect, I'm going to be fooled into thinking something. It's not that. It's actually the power of our mind to shape our biology. And, you know, there are many, you know, thought pioneers like Bruce Lipton who have, you know, paved this path and it's it's no longer the realm of like woo-woo, you know, new aginess. So that is a very important ingredient. Like, what do you believe about your body? Do you think it's like a broken machine? Or do you think that it actually does have an innate wisdom that conventional medical science has no capacity to capture? And that if we just tap into that, it knows exactly what to do. We just have to create the conditions and then there is not a carve out, right? So I had the opportunity to work with the now late Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, which don't know who he is, I think was one of the most important figures in modern medicine. And, you know, he was well known for his long-term so not five years survival rate, long-term metastatic cancer outcomes. We're talking like 20, 30, 34 year survival of, of you know, stage four pancreatic cancer, for example. And, and what he taught me is that fear is contagious, but faith has to come from within. And that you have to bring that faith to your doctor, you know, or to your healing program, that it can't be willed. And so the conditions of healing begin with that belief system. And then what comes next is really just a choice. It's a commitment, you know, and, and I believe that anybody can make that commitment. And actually, you know, many might be surprised to learn that the women that I work with, you know, one-on-one, the outcomes that are, are most dramatic are in the sickest people that I work with. So, you know, the people who are headed to state hospital, the people who are just coming off of electroconvulsive therapy, who are on five meds for 25 years, multiple suicide attempts. You know, you would think that lifestyle medicine is for like, if you have a little anxiety, you know, or a little brain fog, and it is for that, but it's also, you know, a major medical intervention. (laughs) And so, so what has to come and what does come in those people is, is the commitment and the choice to give yourself this month long experience. And then what the month consists of is really not rocket science, right? So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a very specific diet. Although again, it's not anything too special or fancy. It's less complex than, than other effective diets like GAPS, for example, or autoimmune paleo diets. It's an ancestral diet that really controls for major inflammatory foods. So, you know, things like gluten and processed dairy, sugar, we eliminate coffee and alcohol. And then we're, we're trying to heal the, heal the gut, obviously. So, so we're looking to control for some specific starches that have, in my experience, particularly in women, a very, like, are very impactful in the gut. So that would be things like white potatoes and 
beans, you know, and, and grains. So we're taking out gluten, but we're also going to take out all grains. And, and those get reintroduced later, like at about week five or six. But for, for the most part, we just want to clear the slate. At the same time as we are committing to one month of like literally not a single cheat episode of, of those restrictions and, and looking to add in things like, you know, animal foods, including red meat, eggs with the yolks, adding in a lot of natural fats. So things like coconut oil and olive oil, avocado, nuts and seeds. We are also going to commit to a daily pause. So, you know, I was a very reluctant meditator. I came to it through the literature and then through my own personal spiritual crisis. So, you know, what I find is that first comes physical healing. It's the lowest hanging fruit. Just start there, right? So your symptoms may have a deep metaphysical significance, you know, may reflect something even about like lineage level, ancestral, you know, trauma. However, let's not start there, you know, and, and let's just start with the, with chopping wood, carrying water and, and healing the physical body and all of its merciful grace that it allows us to, you know, heal it in, in the space of a month. So we start there. My, you know, sort of introduction to meditation was because I had healed my body and then I began, you know, my spiritual awakening began, uh, which is what I see in almost every person I, I, you know, work this system with, so to speak. And I came to Kundalini yoga. So I am am certified in in Kundalini yoga and Kundalini works with different intervals of meditation. So I work with the three minute interval. So it's a three minute commitment every single day, no exceptions. Like if you're laying down in bed and you're like, Oh God, I didn't do it today. You sit up in bed and you do it every day, every day. Otherwise the month starts over, the clock starts over. And then the, you know, the final piece is really getting, you know, educated about detoxification. So, you know, detoxing your products to just, you know, sort of choosing this laundry detergent versus that one. How do you, how should I filter my water? What about my air? Do I live in an urban area? Should I put a, you know, bunch of breathing plants in my space? And then to begin to look at whether or not you need extra support with regard to detox, detoxing your body. And so this is where something I'm now notorious for is where the coffee enema comes in. And I learned this from my mentor. I never would have adopted it. Otherwise, I think I probably would have been very skeptical about it. But, you know, he showed me research from the New England Journal of Medicine back, you know, dating back to 1952, where the coffee enemas were used to resolve psychotic symptoms and schizophrenic patients with no other interventions in a two week period, you know, and, and, you know, where coffee enemas were used in the ICU setting, for example, and we're in the Merck manual and are now, you know, or we're taking it out actually in the seventies because of space considerations. And now of course they're, you know, demonized and they're dangerous and everything else. And that's fine, you know, and, and, and I don't think they should be used sort of like willy nilly. And I am very, you know, loyal to, to his instructions, but in the right setting with the right, you know, guidance, you know, in the right program, they are extremely powerful detox methodology. I think the most powerful. And so I really front sort of foreground those in patients who are coming off of medications because, you know, psych med tapers can take, ask anyone who's been there, it can take years. And I've been able to cut those tapers probably almost in half with the, you know, frequent use of, of coffee cannabis. So you know, so, so this is an example of how we, we enter through the, the mind, through the gut, you know, we 
we cocoon ourselves in a home environment that feels safe and we begin to send, use nutrigenomics, use the informational capacity of food to send those signals of safety every day. Yeah, this is just, there's so many, I've been taking some notes because there's so many things I want to touch on that you've mentioned. And one of them is going back to when you were talking about the reprogramming of the mind, because in my own personal journey and my families and and what I've witnessed, that is the key. Because if you don't believe that you can heal, then you're, you're, you won't. That's right. Like, and, and I've, I've had Bruce Lipton on this show before and he's just amazing. I love that man so much. And it's definitely been the case for myself and even my husband is that there have been times in my life where I haven't believed that I will heal from X or that my gut will heal. And that has really blocked me. So everyone listening, like I love what I love about you, Kelly, is that you take a holistic approach. You look at the whole body. You're not just about, okay, go and take this medication or go and eat this. You look at every area of your life and every area of the body, which I absolutely love. And I love so much that you've mentioned meditation and kundalini because for me, it wasn't until I started doing those that my healing just increased so much. And, you know, for me, I tend to run hot a little bit. So I, you know, get highly, a little bit stressed and a bit highly strung. So those things have just radically increased my healing and my happiness and my health. So I love so much that you have mentioned that. But you spoke a little bit about the gut. And I want to talk about the gut and this link to mental health and depression. Because, you know, we all know that our gut is our second brain and that whatever's going on in there is going to be reflected in our life and in our health. So what are the repercussions if we don't start to heal our gut and look after our gut? Like what is going to happen? What are the repercussions? So my assumption is that every person who is struggling with symptoms of mood imbalance, anxiety, agitation, insomnia, fatigue, you name it, that comes under the umbrella of psychiatric symptomatology has leaky gut, has intestinal permeability and what's called dysbiosis, which actually etymologically means wrong way of living. Isn't that funny? I love that when I learned that. But that's actually what dysbiosis means. It's another word for imbalance in primarily our understanding is the gut bacteria, but there are many other microorganisms that play, you know, there are archaea and fungus and, you know, there's the virome now we understand that we are composed of of the very things that we've been demonizing and pathologizing. There's a lot of poetry embedded in our understanding of the importance of the ecology of our gut. And I think that, you know, most people intuitively understand that the the brain and mind affect the gut. That you know, we've been nervous and we have butterflies or or we have to give, you know, a speech and we have like diarrhea or we fall in love and and we we lose our appetite. But I think that it's it, it's taking a lot more convincing and a lot more science to get people on board with the impact of the gut on the brain directly. So this is what we call a bi-directional relationship. So it goes both ways. And that's why, you know, the, the capacity of gut healing to influence mood cognition and behavior is 
not to be underestimated. It's it's incredibly strong, and it's also the primary you know route of access. And it's designed that way, you know, that our alimentary canal begins at our mouth, ends at our anus, that that is our primary means of relating to our environment. It's informational. And that's why, you know, calorie perspectives on diet or talking about food as fuel, you know, it's just so diminishing of what actually is the nature of, of that relationship. And so, you know, there's so many ancient you know, healing modalities and approaches that have told us that the the seat of of health is the gut. You know that this is this is the place to start, and it's it's because you know it's responsible for digestion. For some estimates, seventy to eighty percent of our immune system is contained in our gut. For nutrient synthesis, you know that actually our relationship to these microbes that they actually make nutrients that oftentimes we can't synthesize. They, you know, are able to interact with the environment in ways that are are really synergistic. So that's where the inflammatory model of depression, which is called the cytokine theory, comes under the umbrella of of that term I used before, psychoneuroimmunology. That theory validates this because the the rodent model of depression in, in cytokine, you know, research is to inject a rodent, these poor animals, <laughs> to inject a rodent with something called lipopolysaccharide, which is a compound from gram-negative bacteria that is not supposed to enter into systemic circulation, meaning it's supposed to stay nicely contained within the gut, right? In that little ecology there, not circulating around the body. So they actually induce a depression model in a rodent by injecting this compound into them. And, and so the, the obvious implication is that this is happening, you know, to some extent, at least in, in a, a subset of people that they have intestinal permeability or leaky gut and the contents of their inflamed gut are impacting their systemic circulation and triggering an inflammatory response that then impacts the brain. There are other ways that the gut impacts the brain. And one is through a very big nerve passage called the vagus nerve. That is the focus of so much, you know, Kundalini practice, but a lot of meditative practice, you know, anytime you're, for example, breathing in and out so that you're you're sort of pumping your belly button in Kundalini, it's called breath of fire. What you're doing is is directly stimulating that vagus nerve. So there is uh, a lot of course, you know, wisdom contained in, in these ancient practices that now science is, it is beginning to elucidate. And it's, it's, to me, that's super exciting. And besides doing your one-month course to really heal the whole body, what are some things that people can do today to heal our gut? Yeah. So, I mean, to my mind, I mean, we, we were joking about it earlier in, in the show, but starting with breakfast is a really empowering place to begin. And so that's a lot of times, you know, I think why and where and how people find that smoothie recipe to be a, a good jumping off point. Because if you start your day and you interact with your, you know, your stress hormone rhythm, the beginning of your day with the right kinds of food for blood sugar balance, you know, that are anti-inflammatory, that are providing dense nutrients, then your mental space, right, your energy and your experience of satiety during that first part of the day, are you have a leg up on all of that. 
And so that can feed forward, of course, into the rest of your day and may help you, you know, to begin to connect the dots. So like, let's say you have that smoothie for breakfast and then, you know, for lunch, you have a bagel and then an hour and a half later, you're tired and irritable and you have a headache. Well, you have more data now, you know, about how your, your experience in your body is being directly influenced by the foods that you're interacting with. Mm, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and he said to me, this is a family member. And he said to me, oh, I was listening to something on the news where they were saying high fat diets and, and coconut oil are causing heart disease and all of these things. And I was just like, oh gosh, we've got a long way to go. Yeah. And you know what? That's almost the the sign of you know, of of the power of natural medicine is when the conventional establishment and orthodoxy begins to fear monger around it. You know, the the dangers of supplements, the dangers of coffee enemas, the dangers of coconut oil. I mean, I I can't even, I can't even engage those kinds of debates because you know what? I, I realized some years ago that despite you know, my awareness of, of the scientific literature, despite the fact that I'm Irish Italian and have a very big mouth and I know how to use it, <laughs> I am, I'm not interested in changing anyone's mind. There are enough people on this planet right now who are ready to heal and, and who just need some guidance and who need some inspiration and who need to be held in their process. So, you know, to each his own. If pharmaceutical meds are working fine for you and you love life and you feel vital and you're not just surviving, then may the force be with you. But there are a lot of people who, who can use these tools. And I certainly don't think these tools are the third leading cause of death you know, in, in, in America, <laughs> the way that properly prescribed pharmaceuticals are. So I don't think there's any conversation to be had around you know, the dangers of, of lifestyle medicine. Mm, exactly. And if you are you know, feeling like there's something that's not quite working for you right now, then, and you haven't explored this whole body healing, this holistic healing, then maybe this is your, you know, this is your wake up call. This is your opportunity to explore this. So I really want to encourage everyone to go to the show notes and click on Kelly's links and go and dive deep into her work because it is so powerful. Kelly, I would love to hear now if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, besides your amazing books, let's pretend they're already in the curriculum because they absolutely should be. What is one book that you would choose? You know, I just wrote a blog post on this and I had three books on the list. So I'll, I'll tell you what the one book is, which I've already mentioned. And it's, it's anatomy of an epidemic. You know, that book has not only changed my life, but it's changed the lives of, of probably at this point, hundreds of thousands of people. And it's because it addresses a question that we all have, which is why is what we're doing not working? And why do we all feel so bad, <laughs> you know? And of course, you know, Whitaker addresses it, you know, through the scientific literature and that's not for everyone. Not everyone's interested in that level of detail, but he's an incredible writer. It's totally accessible. And I think it's, it's the way to seed your consciousness with the fact that psychiatric medications are, are likely not going to deliver on their promise. And if you can avoid or decide to come off of these medications, 
then you have a shot at, you know, having a soulful life of becoming a whole person. And my perspective is that these medications arrest consciousness to an extent that it's very, very challenging to do that otherwise. So I, I feel really strongly about that book, obviously. And then, you know, the other two I had on my my list, one is called The Science Delusion by Rupert Sheldrake. And, you know, in the blog post that I, I wrote on this on my site, I, I did, you know, I did engage some debate <laughs> with, with him in the post because I, I do feel the, the medical section leaves a bit to be desired. But basically what he goes through is 10 myths, right? 10 assumptions that our understanding of science on the whole, like, like what is gravity science? You know, what is time science? these assumptions that our understanding is, you know, really predicated on and how he dismantles them, you know, to the extent that we are reminded that science is a process. And anytime you hear the words, you know, the science is settled or or that's been debunked, just be wary of the source because likely it's someone who's engaged in, in what is often called scientism, which is the dogmatic experience of science really as, as more of a religion without any insight into, into the practice, right? And the other is a book by a dear friend of mine, Charles Eisenstein, and it's called Ascent of Humanity. And it's a, a tome, okay, it's a very long book. I actually read this book on a flight to and back to Sydney, Australia. And it's basically you know, a text that similarly challenges all of our assumptions, whether it's economics, and finance or environmentalism, medicine. And he just basically, you know, goes through each and everything we've understood to be the problem that we are approaching with more and more science and technology, much of which has actually caused the very problems that they claim to be able to resolve. This is a very deep book. It's, you know, it's one of those books that I I said, you know, my kids, my kids have to read this, you know, by the time they're 20. So yeah, I think it would be those three. We will link to all of those in the show notes, as well as all of your amazing books. And I haven't read your three recommendations. So thank you for adding those to my reading list. Yes, happy to. I'm a, a bibliophile. So I, I read a ton, 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 ton of books. And they've, they've really, you know, paved the way. It's like you said, if someone is listening to this show and they feel that yes inside, it's probably because there's uh, there's a reason, you know, that, that this is happening in this moment. And that's been my experience you know, with the books that have entered my life and really taken me a quantum leap because they appeared at just the right time in order to propel me forward. Yeah, exactly. Now, I love hearing about people's morning routines. Can you share your morning routine with us? Yes. I actually um, was asked that question so many times that I wrote a, a blog post on that too. My, When you were talking about, you know, how meditation has just up-leveled your healing. I mean, that was exactly my experience, you know, because my Hashimoto's was in remission before, long time actually, before I encountered what was the most challenging experience, you know, at that point of my adult life, which was the death, the sudden death of my mentor. I mentioned Nick Gonzalez. And that was in 2015. And I had been doing Kundalini yoga for a, a little while at that point, but I didn't have a daily practice. And, you know, I was busy and momming and you know, commuting and blah, blah, all the excuses we make. And I was so grief stricken, you know, literally in that moment that I, I pulled out the only tool I sort of intuitively knew would help me, 
which in Kundalini is called sadhana. It's the, it's the daily practice, and, and typically it's done before dawn. So I, I started that the day after out of sheer desperation. And sometimes desperation is a very powerful ingredient. So I, I started that, and I've never missed a day since. And within you know two months, I was a different person with a different nervous system. And the, the primary way I could tell that is because like you, I'm very, you know, I'm a total type A, very tightly wound and, you know, very reactive. Everything's an emergency. And, you know, I would get an email that would rub me the wrong way and I'd have to immediately like fire off a response. And, and I just lived my whole life this way, like constantly in anticipation of, you know, what was coming and planning and preparing and always trying to be beyond reproach. And, and within two months, I... I just stopped experiencing stress. And, you know, it's it, almost strange to say it out loud that way, but that's literally what it was. Where wow. I came into a flow, I started to have to go to bed earlier. So I used to be, you know, a real night owl up working till 2 a.m. And I started to go to bed at nine. And I thought, well, God, I'm losing five hours of every night. You know, how am I going to, how am I going to be as productive as I need to? And somehow I, and more productive and have been since I began that practice than ever before in my life. And, and I can only imagine that it's something to do with, you know, cognitive precision that comes online and, and a kind of flow you get into when you're working with a more natural rhythm, uh, circadian rhythm. And also that I think you, you, it's almost like you rubber stamp your stress response rhythm when you are engaging with a meditative intention. And it doesn't need to, you don't need to do it right. You don't need to do it well. You don't even need to do it for a long time. I mean, my practice is about 45 minutes um, and it varies. And sometimes I'll do some Qigong and sometimes I'll do some visualization and sometimes I'll do some chanting. Sometimes I'll just, you know, sit, do breath work. It varies, but I have that commitment. And I think when you, when you interact with your cortisol rhythm at that time of the day, so I get up at 5.30, it, it sets the template for the rest of the day. And I've actually tried to do some research on why this could be the case and what I, what I found is that nomadic uh, indigenous people wake about 40 minutes before dawn. You know, we think, oh, they must wake with the sunrise. It's not actually the case. They wake at the coldest point of the night, which is about 40 minutes you know, before dawn. And I found that fascinating. Like maybe I was tapping into, maybe, you know, 10,000 years of, of yoga practice are tapping into this rhythm that we're built to adhere to. So, so you know, I wake up, I do that, you know, and then I you know, get on with my day, my breakfast, I have two children. So I, uh, you know, preparing the day for, for them as well. And then I go and do some kind of movement and, you know, it's taken me a long time to build this life, to build this lifestyle a long time. And, and part of my move to, to Miami was, you know, casting my vote, you know, that I, I want to live a life that has room for me to, you know, experience pleasure and ease. And a lot of that, it means letting go of some, you know, probably childhood programs around productivity and a need to adhere to a certain kind of really like New York City consciousness about, you know, always doing, 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 doing. So it's a work in progress. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing. I know for me, when I have done my sadhana in the past and got up an hour before sunrise, I have felt invincible. Yeah. I have just felt so good. Now I don't do that. I get up at around sunrise or maybe a little bit before, 
and I do my practice then. But you've inspired me, Kelly. I'm going to get back into (laughs) getting up before the sun rises and doing my practice then because thinking back as you were talking, I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, I did it with my husband. Well, we both got up at the same time and we both just felt invincible. So anyone who has been thinking about, you know, maybe jumping on this bandwagon, getting up, doing some meditation, visualization, breath work, yoga, whatever it is, experiment with it for a couple of weeks and just see how you feel. You are going to feel so good that you're going to be like, I want to do this every day for the rest of my life. Exactly. And then even if you don't, you know it's there. So so part of this self-experimentation is just to sort of get the felt imprint into your body so that you can draw on it when you need it. And so it's, yeah, it's fun. Just experiment with it. It's like a, a self-hack to sort of see, you know, what it does for you. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything else that you want to share? Is there anything else that you want to share that we haven't covered that maybe you want to leave our listeners with any last parting words of wisdom? So I know that so much, I tend to be an overwhelming character. <laughs> and I know that so much of what we talked about in this, in this you know, show is probably a lot. It's like you know, drinking from a fire hose. And, and that's why you know, I, I want to meet people where they are, which is so many of us you know, struggling with these vague symptoms, you know, brain fog and, and fatigue and you know, agitation and just sort of feeling like you're living your life behind a glass wall, right? Or then maybe there are people listening who have diagnoses and have been on meds and and just want another way. But I I think that, you know, where I like to orient people in terms of a place to start, we talked about breakfast, is also to begin to identify whether there is a totally reversible physiologic imbalance at the root of your symptoms, which in my, you know, perspective is, is most often the case. So I call, you know, there's five that I think are the most common ones. I call them the psychiatric pretenders. We actually just developed like kind of a quiz, like a self-assessment tool. We call it the symptom checker. We just finished it. So I can share that. And it's basically just so you can go through and see, you know, do I have, you know, potentially a thyroid imbalance? Do I have blood sugar instability? Do I have a nutrient deficiency like B12? Is gluten and dairy an issue for me? You know, is it hormonal imbalance? Because if you don't start to think that way, like how can I read the language of my body's symptoms and reverse that quickly? Then you could very easily, you know, obviously go down the the road of thinking you have some mental illness. And so, you know, just sort of starting with that as a as a, a place to 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 begin, I think hopefully will help demystify a lot of what we've talked about here. Yeah, I love that. And it's really about tuning in and doing what feels right for you. And you don't have to go all in and get overwhelmed. Like we don't want you to get overwhelmed. We just want you to start to implement some of these holistic practices and lifestyle hacks that are really going to make such a huge difference to your health and your happiness. Yeah. So Kelly, I know you have to jump off and I am so conscious of your time and I'm so grateful for the time that you have given us. You're a very full lady. You've got so much going on. So we are so grateful to have you. And something that I'm really passionate about is being of service. So I want to know how I and the listeners can serve you today. You do so much to serve so many other people. How can we serve you? 
that's so what a what a beautiful you know question I've actually never been asked. <laughs> so I really really appreciate it. it means a lot to me. And you know, I would say I wake up every day with a fire in in my belly about this mission. And we talked about it earlier, but it's simply a matter of informing people. So, you know, if if this material speaks to anyone listening, if you could share it and be courageous in sharing it. And and I'm I you know, I'm here to to get your back, you know, I'm here to to stand in your corner with reams of scientific evidence, but I just I think it's so critical that that this information be shared and that people know that there is, you know, a, a way to have a med-free life that is so much more expanded than what conventional medicine is offering. So, yeah, so that would be my only ask is to it just sort of spread the word. Oh, absolutely. And we will link to all of your amazingness in the show notes for anyone who wants to get your books, check out your website, your blog, your program. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. And Kelly, this you and I have been trying to get in touch to do this interview for so long. So I'm so glad that it finally happened. I'm very grateful. I'm a huge fan of your work. Next time you're in Australia, you must let me know. But thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a trailblazer, for doing the work that you do in the world and for lighting the way for all of us. We are so grateful. Oh, thank you. And thank you for sharing this work with me and for for standing in this light. I, I really need the company and support. So it means a lot to me. Thank you. Isn't she a wealth of knowledge? I got so much out of today's episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who else you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that Kelly and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 151. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. Another thing I wanted to mention before I go is that if you haven't got my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex, all you have to do is head on over to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And whilst you're there, you can also get access to my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave your review now. Thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best and healthiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please, please, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you have got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.